and welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program? Now, listen, do me a favor. Those of you who are on the phones, be patient with me. I'm going to come to you in this segment. But I don't like to start segments with phone calls if I can help it. And there is something I want to go on and get off my chest that I meant to talk about yesterday and just could not get to yesterday. Um, it is, it's kind of important. Um, so let me begin there. Let me get these news stories. I'm sorry. So many people are texting me. A a buddy of mine just texted me. I find this very funny. Uh, the Reverend Raphael Warnock is his campaign bus is near my house at a Hooters. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I, I have photographic evidence. I don't know that the right reverend himself. I was actually getting my hair cut yesterday in Atlanta, and he was uh, sitting outside uh, drinking coffee with his security guy, but his campaign bus is in middle Georgia, parked at a Hooters while his staff eat at Hooters. My goodness gracious. Okay, um, I don't mean to shame this person. It really is not my intention of shaming this person. So I don't want to give you her name. She is a Fulbright journalist and a public radio reporter. And this is her tweet. Things the data can tell us. A sampling of fourth and eighth graders nationwide lost ground in reading and math. Fourth graders in Virginia experienced steeper declines than the national average. Things the data cannot tell us. Why? Such a mystery, isn't it? Such a mystery that this public radio reporter can't understand why are fourth and eighth graders nationwide losing ground in reading and math? Why would that be, do you think? This from the New York Times, U.S. students in most states and across almost all demographic groups have experienced troubling setbacks in both math and reading, according to an authoritative national exam released on Monday, offering the most definitive indictment yet of the pandemic's impact on millions of school children. What's that? The pandemic? This reporter from public radio says we don't know why. In math, the results were especially devastating, representing the steepest declines ever recorded on the National Assessment of Educational Progress, known as the nation's report card, which tests a broad sampling of fourth and eighth graders and dates to the early 1990s. In the test's first results since the pandemic began, math scores fell in every state for 8th graders. A meager 26% of 8th graders were proficient, down from 34% in 2019. It's damning indictment that only 34% were proficient and or 36% in 2019. Fourth graders fared only slightly better with declines in 41 states. Reading scores declined in more than half the states, continuing a downward trend. No state showed sizable improvements in reading. This is wild. 
This is actually kind of wild. What states did the best? Wyoming, Wisconsin, and now this is for fourth grade math. Which states did the best? Wyoming, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Massachusetts, Utah, Minnesota, Florida, North and South Dakota, Iowa. It's amazing. Which states did the worst? New Mexico, West Virginia, District of Columbia, Delaware, Louisiana, Alabama, Oklahoma, New York, Arkansas, Nevada, Alaska, Oregon, California, Maryland. What about for reading in fourth grade? Which states did the best? Massachusetts, Florida, Colorado, New Jersey, Wyoming, New Hampshire, Utah, Connecticut, Hawaii, Ohio, Vermont, Rhode Island, Washington, which states did the worst for fourth graders in reading? New Mexico, West Virginia, Oklahoma, Alaska, Delaware, District of Columbia, Nevada, Louisiana, Alabama, Oregon, Michigan. You will note there's not a partisan point to be had here because it's a mixture of red states and blue states. What is, in fact, most notable, to me at least, is that if you break it down to school districts, school districts that opened earlier, students did better. That tends to correlate to Republican areas of states, but not necessarily. What we can deduce from this data, however, is that shutting down schools, in some cases for more than a year, mattered greatly. And a lot of people spent a lot of energy denying that they wanted schools to be shut down in any way, shape, or form, including, for example, Dr. Fauci, who took no responsibility for schools shutting down. It wasn't his role. He's just public health, except they were listening to him. They were listening to him, and he did not want to accept any sort of responsibility for seeing states shut down. He didn't want to accept any responsibility for offering advice that encouraged states to shut down. In fact, none of the experts, none of the teachers' unions, none of the major policy prognosticators in the country who demanded schools be shut down actually wants to say, yeah, we made a mistake. Jake Tapper, the other day on CNN, I guess it was yesterday on CNN, said that we need to have a national conversation about the damage we did to kids was shutting down school so long, he got dragged by the left for saying that. He got dragged by the left for acknowledging that kids suffered because schools were shut down for so long. But he's right. We need to have a national conversation. But here's the problem. Here's what's going to happen is that the Democrats who shut schools down, the teachers' unions who insisted school stays closed, What they're going to do is now demand some level of affirmative action for the kids who fell behind. They broke the schools, they hurt the kids, and now they're going to want a government bailout for the kids who fell behind. Meanwhile, there are states and there are parents 
who put their kids in private schools or hired tutors when schools were shut down. What is notable is how far Virginia fell behind. Northern Virginia shut schools down longer than almost any place and then accused parents of racism and bigotry if they hired tutors. They told parents not to hire tutors for their kids during the shutdowns because uh, poor parents and their kids would be put at a disadvantage. So you were not supposed to help your kid because other parents couldn't help their kid. You were supposed to let your kid drown because other parents didn't know how to swim to save their kid. That's essentially what it amounted to. The parents, actually many of them invited other kids whose parents couldn't afford the tutors to come and be tutored. But not everyone was in that situation. Not everyone could have the help. Not everyone did it. And kids fell behind. It's remarkable that this has happened. It is remarkable that we're in this situation. The California school report is out. 9% of black students and 18% of Hispanic students in San Francisco area schools were proficient in math compared with 65% of their white and Asian American peers. But anyone who said closing public schools would increase inequality was attacked. It is common sense. We knew this was going to happen. We knew it was going to happen. And the left denied it the whole time and attacked and bullied anyone. My kids go to a Christian private school, very small school. And they had a very good COVID plan. They're mindful of people like my wife who are immunocompromised with lung cancer. And they put all the kids back in school, made them all wear masks, spread them out in the classrooms, made them eat lunch in the classrooms, made them spend a lot of time outside, had the windows open in the schools when it was appropriate. We did not have COVID flare-ups except once, and they shut down the high school because a lot of kids were getting COVID and everybody else kept going to school, and the high school kids just worked remotely from home. They made it very flexible. They didn't really enforce absences, and it worked. Public schools didn't do that. Private schools gave rid of flexibility. And I continue to be shocked, appalled, and horrified that there are Republicans in states like my own here in Georgia that are still opposed to school choice, are still opposed to allowing people who have the ability to get their kids out of school to let them get their kids out of failing public schools. The public schools are failing our kids. They're failing our nation. There are solutions, including competition. Charter schools are one. Charter schools are not a panacea, but allowing kids to go to a better school, giving them school choice, providing subsidies, doing what Florida does, doing what Arizona does, seems like a no-brainer at this point. Republicans, are you paying attention? This is the civil rights issue of your time, and you are on the wrong side of the civil rights movement. You're on the side with the Democrats right now opposing school choice. You Republicans could advance school choice in your states and lock down a generation of non-white voters for the GOP. It's a winning political issue it is a winning civil rights issue for you. Why are you so out to lunch on this issue? The data is in. It's bad. You want to fix the data? You want to fix the schools? Embrace school choice. Americans for Prosperity plays to win. That matters a lot to me. 
I know a lot of DC-based organizations that just want to pass paper around to other Beltway insiders or claim they speak for everyday Americans without ever having to leave Washington, D.C. Americans for Prosperity is different. They're not a think tank. They're grassroots do-tank. Americans for Prosperity is a -a one-of-a-kind, freedom-oriented, limited government advocacy and accountability organization that actually takes action to expand opportunity for all Americans and defend your freedom of speech. They're doing great work at all levels of government. What's their secret? Well, they don't really rely on Washington. They built a network of concerned citizens who are stepping up for freedom in communities all around the country. If you want to learn more, if you want to find out how to get involved with Americans for Prosperity with a chapter near you, and I assure you, they have a chapter near you, check them out at americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. That's americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. <laughs> Oh, there's breaking news literally happening right now. Uh, yesterday, the Congressional Progressive Caucus issued a letter calling for Biden to engage in diplomacy with Russia over Ukraine and stop funding Ukraine. Uh, five minutes ago, Pramila Jayapal, one of the leaders of the progressive, she is the chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, threw her staff under the bus and said in a statement, quote, the Congressional Progressive Caucus hereby withdraws its recent letter to the White House regarding Ukraine. The letter was drafted several months ago, but unfortunately was released by staff without vetting. As chair of the caucus, I accept responsibility for this, but blames the staff. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, we got to go to the phones now, Uh, 877-973-7425. Mike's been waiting very patiently. Mike, welcome. Thank you, Eric. Hey, um, like everybody else out there, I'm getting a ton of spam calls, which I'm sure are pollsters, and I don't take their calls right now. But then I got to thinking, should I start taking their calls? Mike, Mike, these pollsters are polling to see if you're okay with your extended warranty. <laughs> well, let, let's say if they are pollsters, should I tell them the truth or should I screw with their brain and feed them a bunch of junk? You know, listen, uh, thou shalt not bear false witness. Um, I okay. I would be honest with the pollsters. You don't have to take their phone calls. I am not one of those people who subscribes to the idea that pollsters are just like building a data. I know there are people who think they're building some sort of database for opposition research or something. I t- tell them the truth, honestly. Um, at this point, all it's going to do is give the Democrats diarrhea if you tell the pollsters how you're voting because the polling is that bad. Um I am aware of a poll coming out in Georgia on Monday, and uh, there are only two outcomes in this poll. Either Herschel Walker is going to be over 50% or the race is going to be unchanged. And it's about a 50-50 split between people who think there's going to be a runoff or uh, there's actually going to be a uh, majority for Herschel. So tell the pollsters what you think, and that's just going to upset the Democrats. Uh, I would not lie to pollsters. Don't take their calls, but don't lie. As someone who ran campaigns, honestly, don't lie to pollsters. I know you want to. I I, I want to, too, if I'm honest. Thou shalt not bear false witness, folks. It's in the Bible. Um, I I, got to, real quick, um, I I do have to say, by Friday, I'll have the uh, event at the Governor's Gun Club in Kennesaw for my listeners. Nationwide, you're invited. I realize it's a hike for some of you to get to Kennesaw, Georgia, to a giant, amazing, incredible shooting range that has a great restaurant in Bourbon. Um, If you text bourbon to 33777, get tickets and come by Friday evening, 
This is actually why I want people to come because you'll hear it there first before I can talk about it on radio. We will have a sense of the two weeks of early voting. And we will have a sense of whether Herschel Walker can win outright and not have a runoff. And we won't know until Friday evening and I will break the news there. So that's why you want to come. Text Bourbon to 33777. Now, do I have time for Scott? I do. Scott, welcome. Whoa, Scott, background noise. You there, Sorry, Scott? Eric, I, was, I was doing a little. <laughs> yeah. I don't blame you working. I've, I've kept you on hold for about 20 minutes. I, you had other stuff to do. Yeah, well, you know, as long as I can listen and work, I'm happy to do that. Hey, the reason I called, well, by the way, like your show. Uh, Thank you. You've uh, really, really done well since uh, you've taken Russia's slot. So I commend, commend you on that. Um, I'm just the, you talked about voting your conscience early on, or people saying voting their conscience. I tell you, I'm done with the voting the conscience thing. I, you have to have people of integrity and honor. And I basically, I just look at the candidates and whoever's going to most closely support my policy desires is who I vote for. I don't know whether they're Christians or not. Only God knows that. They can say whatever they want, and you're sure not going to get the truth about that during a political season. So uh, it's just, you know, you, you look at whoever's running, and you uh, examine where they stand on key issues, whether they be moral or just governmental policy issues, and you you pick that person. I, I Personally, I couldn't stand Donald Trump, but I voted for him twice because I liked what he did governmentally, and I stood for his policies. I I don't have any, you know, I, he got on my nerves. I never met the man, but, uh, you know, personally, I he, he didn't appeal to me. But I did. Uh, he, what appealed to me is what he stood for. So, yeah, look, anyway. I, I think that's fair. I, I, at this point, uh, and, and Scott, listen, thanks for, for being patient with me here. I know you waited for a little while. Uh, I don't blame voters for sending it out and saying, look, I, I really do think neither of these guys is for me. I just, I can't do it. I, I'm, I'm not going to shame any voter. I, I used to be one of those people who did, and then I couldn't do it. Honestly, in 2016, with, with Trump and Hillary, I hated them both. I wound up supporting Trump ultimately because, I mean, what the Democrats offered was insane. And, and now I'm kind of at that point where I, I could sit it out and we're, we're going to get a Republican or a Democrat elected. That, that's the bottom line here. A Republican or a Democrat is going to get elected. I realize in Georgia there's Libertarian. The Libertarian candidate will not get elected. The only thing the Libertarian candidate will do is throw us into a runoff. And if I got to choose between a Democrat or a Republican, I'm choosing a Republican. I voted Herschel Walker. When you're ready to hop into a soft, cozy bed, your sheets make a big difference. Bull and Branch sheets use only the best 100% organic cotton threads on earth for superior softness that only gets more luxurious with every wash. I know because I sleep in Bull and Branch sheets. And let me tell you, you know, they start off like your standard bed sheet and you're thinking, what's the big deal? Well, wash them. You see the difference. Wash them again. You feel the difference more and more. They get softer over time and they've got the perfect weight. They've got that weight in the summertime where you feel like substantively there's something on you, but yet you're not sweating to death. And in the wintertime, it's just the perfect snug fit for the Bowling Branch sheets. They focus on thread quality, not quantity, although the quality and the quantity both are fantastic. Now, they got over 25,000 
and rave customer reviews made from the highest quality threads you can get. Bowl and Branch signature sheets come in nine colors. They fit all mattress sizes. You will feel the difference. And again, you got a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping and returns. What do you have to lose? Try them. Keep washing them. They get softer and softer. Go to Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D branch.com. Use promo code Eric. You'll get 20% off your first set of sheets and free shipping with the promo code Eric, my name at bowlandbranch.com. Again, B-O-L-L-A-N-D branch.com. The promo code Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, let me pull the curtains back a little bit for you, please. This is actually kind of important. Um, it really actually is important, and I would otherwise be needling Philip about it, and I can't today because one, he had to grab my lunch for me. I forgot my – so I got a, a 2021 Yukon Denali. I mean, brand new. A year old. It uh, Something in the engine chipped somehow. They have no idea tore up the engine and the transmission. I uh, have to get a brand new engine and transmission put in it. Um, a year old, thankfully it's under warranty. My goodness, it'd be a disaster otherwise. But um, so I ordered lunch and it's like, oh, dead gummit, I don't have a car. So Philip had to go get it for me, which put him behind. So f- I compile all the stuff I want to talk about in uh, outline in the mornings and Philip takes all those links and puts it together to send out the show notes email. And then he adds stuff as it breaks. Today, every story I've talked about on this program with the exception of the education stories. Then I added the California stuff that just hit the wires, but the, the, the big California, all of the major stuff I've talked about today did not hit the wire until the show opened. That's how fresh this radio program is. It's one reason you should be listening live on your local radio station or on the pod or on the live stream. I mean, the podcast is fine, but literally got you the news as it was hitting the wires today. And all of it, because Philip was delayed putting the show notes together, thanks to being at my lunch, made it in the show notes email. So if you want to see the links, they're there, including the great walk back from progressives about their Ukraine position, which we will get into. Uh, text Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777 and get that. But it is bleeding edge news, and there is more. For months, y'all are going to love this one. I'll get back to your phone calls here in a minute. Y'all are going to love this. Again, the New York Times, it's just schadenfreudelicious time, folks. For months, Governor Kathy Huschel of New York has trusted the state's strong Democratic majority would keep her in office, largely on the strength of a simple message. Her Republican opponent was too close to Donald Trump and would roll back abortion rights. But just two weeks before Election Day, a rapidly tightening contest has Ms. Huschel racing to expand her closing argument as Democrats warily concede they may have misjudged powerful fears driving the electorate, particularly around crime. In just the last few days, Ms. Huschel stood with Mayor Eric Adams to announce a new flood of police officers into New York City subways. She visited five Harlem churches to assure stalwart black voters she was laser-focused on safety. And she highlighted new statistics showing that authorities were seizing more guns under her watch. 
Her campaign has begun recalibrating its paid message too, shifting the focus of millions of dollars in ad spending to highlight the governor's efforts to stoke the economy and improve public safety, notably including a package of modest changes to the state's bail law that have divided her party. The spots trumpeted her record with and they run alongside an ad tying Lee Zeldin to the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Anxious Democrats are hopeful that the changes can stabilize the governor's campaign after weeks of increasingly shaky polls that show Ms. Huschel's lead dwindling to single digits. Y'all, a video came out yesterday of a man with mental health problems in the New York subway shoving a random passerby or off the track onto the rails. The man who did the attack had a crime record. Had a crime record. Had been let out of prison and will now go back to prison. Should have never been let out of prison. New York is not a safe place used to be in the Rudy Giuliani era. Now you, you forget if I, I never went to New York as a kid in the eighties, but it had a reputation for being very family unfriendly. It was very much San Francisco of the East, open drug use, prostitution, crime, uh, CD sex shops in Times Square. Rudy Giuliani came along and began to clean all that up. And Rudy Giuliani embraced what a lot of people have decided is discredited called the broken window theory of crime. The broken window theory of crime is actually pretty straightforward. When you see a broken window in a a place, you presume the place is empty. And if you leave the place empty and the broken window unfixed, eventually the criminal elements will migrate there because they know the place is empty. No one's paying attention to the place, and so they can set up crime there. So if you strictly enforce the small things like broken windows, you keep crime from festering. And it worked in New York City. The police in New York would randomly stop young men and inspect them for guns. Stop and frisk worked. It was, they were accused of racism for doing it in mostly black areas. And Mike Bloomberg was caught on a hot mic one time explaining that the reason they did it in these mostly black areas is that's where the most crime is. They're not stopping randomly young black men to frisk for guns. They're stopping young men to frisk for guns. And it just so happens the majority of the young men in the areas that are crime infested are black. It's not racial profiling. You're profiling young men, not, not race, not black men. Now you should know Defending the broken window theory of crime is highly controversial. A series of of reports from sociologists and others come out and have claimed that there's no correlation between the broken window theory of crime and crime enforcement in New York. And essentially, they tell people to not believe their own eyes. Crime went down in New York City. Crime went down. The city became safe for people to return. It worked. But people lamented the jails and the prisons being filled up the harshness of the sentences. And so people got soft, began letting people out of prison, and things deteriorated. Now, here are a couple of things you have to nuance. 
Donald Trump supported the First Step Act. The First Step Act is a law that began to allow some people out of prison for petty crimes. I supported the First Step Act. I know a lot of my conservative friends opposed it, said it would increase crime, and they're pointing their finger at the increase in crime. The problem is that corresponding to this, the Democrats began to launch a twofold attack on police, insisting on defunding the police, and also embraced the idea of cashless bail. That poor people who are arrested for crime should not have to post bail. They should just be let out of jail. I would argue that the First Step Act is not, we're not seeing a massive rate of recidivism of people who benefited from the First Step Act. What we are is we're seeing a massive uh, progress of recidivism of criminals who are let out of prison by Democrats soft on crime who used cashless bail to get themselves out of jail now. And they're the criminal element who have been emboldened. But what I also do think is that the broken window theory of crime works. I know it's controversial these days to say, in fact, Democrats believe you're racist if you defend the broken window theory of crime. But just hear me out again with a very basic analogy here. You see a broken window in a building. Weeks go by and that broken window is not fixed. That suggests, therefore, the building is empty. If the building is empty and the window exists and it's broken for multiple weeks, it suggests whoever owns the building is not paying attention to the building. If the window is broken, it's not fixed over a period of weeks and no one is watching the building from the landlord's company, then that's the perfect place for the drug lords to go set up shop because they know no one cares about the building. They haven't fixed the window. Therefore, it becomes a hotbed of prostitution and crime and drug trading and violence and gang activity. No one's watching the building. They haven't fixed the window. So you can go in quietly under the cover of darkness and engage in criminal activity. They're illicit activities. And then the crime begins begins to spread in that area. You fix the window, force the landlord to fix the window. It makes people think the building is being looked after, and so they're less likely to go set up a criminal syndicate inside the building under the cover of darkness. And it worked. We have the data from New York City during Rudy Giuliani and Mayor Bloomberg's tenure to show that it worked. When they began to soften under, uh, what's his name, the, the commie idiot who was the, the mayor there last, when they began to soften, Blasio, yes, when they began to soften uh, their enforcement of crimes, what happened in New York? Crime started soaring. Crime went up. Now you have random homeless people who didn't have cashless bail, who had cashless bail, so they got out of jail when they should have stayed in jail, shoving people into the subway as trains are coming into the station. You have random women being chased down the street and stabbed to death. That happened a couple weeks ago as people watched a crazy homeless man chased a nurse down the street and stabbed her to death in Manhattan. In broad daylight. These attacks are happening. You have all the hand-wringing over anti-Asian violence. The anti-Asian violence is coming from young black men in New York City and San Francisco, and the Democrats in those cities don't want to do anything about the crime. They want to blame Donald Trump and Republicans for the anti-Asian violence that's coming from people who I assure you are probably not Donald Trump voters or voters at all. And the Democrats can't handle the crime situation. 
They can't do it. They don't want to do it. Maybe it was the right thing to do at the time, David Patterson, the former Democratic governor, said of the decision of Democrats to spend precious time and money messaging on abortion rights this summer. But these times, meaning September and October, really call for more conversations about what we can do with convicted felons, what we do with the judge's capacity to assess dangerousness, and obviously what we do with a significant number of people with mental illness walking the streets right now. That's the former governor of New York. The Democrats want you to believe that people are unsafe in New York because people have guns. No, people are unsafe in New York because New York has criminals. And the law-abiding citizens can't carry their guns to protect themselves from the criminals. And New York won't do anything about it. They tell you you're racist. They tell you you're a bigot. The voter backlash is coming. I don't think Lee Zeldin's going to beat Kathy Huschel. I don't think he is. If Lee Zeldin beats Governor Huschel of New York on election night, the Republican wave is the biggest wave we've had in a very long time. I don't know that he will. But the fact that it's close and the Democrats are panicked tells you really everything you need to know about the state of play right now. There is no corresponding Democratic counterwave coming to save the Democrats. Voters are furious about their kids' education. They are furious about unsafe streets. They are furious about inflation, the cost of groceries, gas. They are furious about the Democrats refusing to grapple with these issues and instead patting themselves on the back for cashless bail, defunding the police, and a Green New Deal. There will be hell to pay for the Democrats. And instead of recognizing that they screwed up, instead of changing what they want to do for society, what the Democrats will do is they will blame the voters. And in 2024, the voters will put a Republican in the White House and maintain a Republican Congress. And the Democrats will again blame the voters because being a Democrat is like being an expert. You never have to admit you're wrong. And you never have to say you're sorry, even as your sorry butt keeps losing because voters are furious with you. Americans for Prosperity is one of those groups turning American conservatives into great activists, not just at the ballot box and doing door knocking and things like that, but they actually want to just be your in-house research facility. Think of Americans for Prosperity as your personal think tank. They have local groups all around the country. They're not just a D.C.-based think tank. And you get involved with that group. You get their their briefings. You get their white papers. You get all the research they've done on the issues you care about in favor of free markets and free people. And then they provide you the tools and training to learn how to go to your school board and present the data to show that a conservative education policy is the best for students. They give you the tools and data to go to your your, uh, state legislature to approach your member of Congress. They give you the data to make you more knowledgeable so that when you go to these people and they pretend they're smarter than you, you can prove to them very quickly that actually, no, you're smarter than them. 
Americans for Prosperity wants you to join their local group. Wherever you are, they probably have one. If not, maybe help them get one started. Go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Find your local chapter or work with them. See if you can help build one. I know they're building one in Alabama right now. They've got a great one in Georgia. They got them in Florida. They're also doing door knocking, focusing on independent general only voters, trying to figure out where these voters are and how to persuade these voters to fight for free markets and free people. If you're committed to free markets and free people, Americans for Prosperity is probably the group you want to partner with. Americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Go check them out today. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. This hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan, wherever you are nationwide. They can help your business grow. All you got to do is reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com. Tell them I sent you. Uh, big deals, though, $750,000 or more. Big deals. Okay. Uh, the, the Again, the phone number, 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, there is some news happening now. Uh, Republicans are redirecting $6 million more million into the Pennsylvania Senate race. They listen, um, I, I don't have a sense of this race. And, and I just, I want you to to hear me out here. My gut is that if the Republican wave is as big as it appears to be, it's going to carry Herschel Walker, Blake Masters, and Mehmet Oz across the finish line. I also think in Pennsylvania, you're going to find some independent voters who decide, you know what, I cannot vote for Mastriano for governor. He's detestable but I will vote for Mamanaz. I'll split my ticket. I actually think you're going to see bigger split ticket in Pennsylvania than you'll see in Georgia. I don't have a good sense of it, though. But groups linked to the Senate Leadership Fund Super PAC uh, connected to Mitch McConnell have decided to go all in. They're cutting money out of New Hampshire. There's one poll that shows New Hampshire is close. Every other poll in New Hampshire shows the Republicans do not have a shot at winning it. In Pennsylvania, though, there's a real shot at winning it. Let me give you the polls here. Uh, CBS News YouGov has Fetterman up two. Rasmussen has Fetterman up two. Fox 29 Insider Advantage has uh, Fetterman and Oz in a tied race. Fetterman's come down. Oz is headed up in the charts. There are two weeks to go from election day uh, right now. The Democrats have had a series of missteps. There's going to be a debate there. This debate may actually matter. Like, I don't think most debates matter. But I think like the Herschel Walker, Raphael Warnock debate, this could matter. Um, they are going to debate there, but I just, I'm not sure. As of yesterday, 556,000 Pennsylvanians cast their ballot. 407,007 are registered Democrats. 107,039 are registered Republicans. 42,395 are registered with other or no party. The Democrats tend to vote way early in Pennsylvania. The Republicans show up on Election Day. But also concurrent to that, uh, a lot of people in Pennsylvania are defined as Democratic voters because they chose to vote Democrat last year for president. And so as a result, some of these Democratic voters are just not Trump voters. Will they go for Dr. Oz? I don't know. But um, Republicans seem very optimistic they can win this seat and take it from the Democrats and beat John Fetterman. And if they do, 
and they win either Georgia or Nevada, they're going to win the Senate, and they could get to 53 seats. We'll find out two weeks from today.